Hey, hello, everyone. I don't know, just tidying up. You know, those musicians, musicians always are leaving messes, so someone's got to clean up after them. No, hello to our uh, Bel Air and Edgewood campus. Anybody watching online, hope you got things together wherever you're at. Uh, we're getting ready for Christmas, right? Uh, probably all of us getting ready for Christmas Eve services around here. Hope you're planning to come and even thinking about those you can invite. Uh, we've got these cards available. If you don't have one of these, get some of these. And think about someone who could just really use a great Christmas celebration. I know it's going to be at least that. All right, maybe even for someone who's like, ah, I'm not really a church person, uh, it's going to be a, a meaningful time and a good Christmas celebration, and it will give God a chance to speak into our lives, into this season, for anyone who's willing to listen. So grab these cards, okay? You can get the... Okay. There's better ways to get them, all right? Out in the commons or, or something like that. You know, it takes a lot of work to get a home ready for Christmas. We're in this Home for Christmas series. And a lot of uh, energy that you've got to expend. Maybe some of you are in the thick of that right now. Maybe you did it in November. Or, I don't know. It could be woefully behind. There's one representative from our family who really likes to do the Christmas thing and put a nice Christmas touch on our home. Uh, that would not be me. That would be uh, my wife. She's real good at it. And she's a homemaker. Uh, you, you know, homemaker, that's one of those jobs that often gets talked about in, in a way that's kind of like, uh, so do you work? Or do you just stay home, right? Like, is your life meaningful and productive, or are you kind of one of those non-contributing members of society? <laughs> uh, the truth is, of course, there may not be any harder or more meaningful work than that, and I'm so grateful for the work that my wife does. She's got to work it out for her at our house. We've got five kids under nine, and it can be pretty tough. You look in our living room, we do a lot of wrestling in there and running laps and all kinds of stuff. If you just imagine a bunch of gerbils in a cage, like running all over top of each other, that's what it's like to be at our house. And my wife takes responsibility for corralling that and cleaning up after that and bringing order to that chaos. That's what a homemaker does, right? Homemaker manages the home. you got people coming over for Christmas. Well, somebody's got to get those beds ready. And, oh, looks like Ben, he left his kitty glove. I'm, I'm going to have to give that to him, make sure he gets that back. But uh, a homemaker gets extra beds ready, towels out, puts food in the pantry, and prepares everything. But it's not, and it's not just the special occasion stuff, right? Homemaker is doing all of the ongoing work to keep and manage the uh, systems of a house. So you got to get clothes folded and sheets washed and uh, floors swept, dishes clean, lunches made, uh, homework checked, all of that. Keep that moving. A homemaker, uh, all of that happens under their guiding hand. They are like the master of this domain. They're trying to control all the operations of the home. And you think about it, they're like the head of all the departments, aren't they? Uh, purchasing, inventory, transportation, all the logistics stuff. you got to figure that out. A accounting, HR, production and quality control, like like. Make sure the kids turn out okay, like handle that, right? We don't want to be putting out a bad product, okay? So uh, take care of all of that. Uh, all of these things kind of fall to the homemaker, and they feel that pressure. Now, I'm not saying that that's reasonable or even possible, but it's like, hey, these are the things that are under your control. So you get them under control and make this home what it needs to be. A homemaker feels the weight of that assignment. Now, here's what, I, what I've noticed. I think that... Christmas time brings out the homemaker in a lot of us. And here's what I mean. We've been talking in this series about being home for Christmas and the, image, or the feelings and the longings that we have when we think of that. We all have this image in our mind of what being home for Christmas should be like, what a home should be like at Christmas. And we want to make that home into reality. We want to 
craft and guide and direct and do whatever is in our power to make sure that home is a place where no creature is stirring. There's no strife or turmoil between people where all the stockings are hung with care along with, with every other piece of decor. Where children are nestled into warm beds, there's no need, there's nothing lacking, only merriment and nothing to dread. We uh, want to do whatever we can do to be the, the master of our domain around Christmas time. Other times of the year, we might be okay if some of those things were mediocre or if we were even failing, but we really want to make it right at Christmas time so that we can get out of Christmas what it's supposed to deliver. And we know we decorate our homes with ornaments and, and mantelpieces that tell us what Christmas is meant to deliver. Uh, things like hope. Uh, peace, right? Joy. And love. This is what Christmas is supposed to be about. Now, whether or not we have these kinds of decorations in our home, I mean, who among us doesn't want a home that is made of these things? We have a desire for Christmas to be as advertised, don't we? Uh, we want it to work out and we want to shape it in such a way that it would deliver on its promises, that it would lift our spirits, warm our hearts, fill our souls, just like a homemaker dusts and shines and organizes and arranges everything and crafts a home for what a family needs. We want to craft the Christmas that will deliver on all of these things. And if we could make it that way, we would. But we often can't. In spite of our best efforts to, to manage and make life go according to design, it doesn't always work out the way that we want. And that is a really hard fact of life. It's a, re a reality that is especially felt this time of year. Because in spite of the happiness that we think we're supposed to feel, there often sadness comes. This time of year is when we, we often remember those that we've lost. Death has taken them from us. There may be people that in the past they helped define what Christmas was for us, but now they're no longer around to share the experience. And we miss them during this season of merriment. We think of others from whom we are estranged. There, there's a relationship, there's a person out there, they're still alive, but we maybe feel like we already lost them. Hardened parents, rebellious kids. Still others will be gone away for Christmas because of noble reasons, but they, they have an absence and that leaves a void. And That void is something that we might be able to tolerate at other times of the year, but there's something about Christmas that makes that really hard to bear. If, if it was up to us, they'd be here. If, if we could somehow manipulate and control life's circumstances, their presence would bring us joy and peace would rest on us and we'd be hopeful about the future and we would love this time of year. But as a result, there's a lot of us that don't welcome this time of year because it comes with sadness and heartache. Sometimes it even comes with, with guilt because we don't want to be responsible for bringing others down when they're trying to be happy. And it's just, it's really hard. No matter how much we might want to engineer Christmas and make it the way that we want, the fact is we just uh, can't make it that way. So I, I know we just went to uh, kind of an emotional place there without warning, and I'm sorry for that. But it's a real place, right? I just know so many of us are 
are dealing with uh, hurt and loss. I think uh, Susan, who's on our staff, she just lost her mother this last week. On Friday, I was at a funeral for my friend Renee and her husband, Anthony. Renee's father died. Uh, Jerry, just this week, ha had a stroke, and he's still alive. It's, it's touch and go, and we don't know what will happen, but there's so many feelings of fear and even loss inherent in that. For anyone dealing with an illness or a tragedy, you don't know what life will be like, and so you feel uh, the weight of that loss. And the first thing we need to do is just acknowledge those things today, to know that uh, we're not alone. We're not weird. You, in many ways, we're not unique when uh, we're, we're feeling this, this kind of way. Um, and, and the truth is that, yes, Christmas is about all of these things. And we're not giving up on any of those things. But it's also true that there are some other words that characterize this season. Like grief and pain. Those things are just as much a part of this season for many of us. Uh, a lot of us feel this burden maybe even more than others. And perhaps we were even hesitant to come because we didn't want to drag others down who were trying to be happy. You know, we were, we're not feeling the merriment of the season. We're not gripped with wonder at God's gift to us. Unto us a child is born, a son is given. No, we're gripped with grief. Some people didn't come today because of that. I told this before, when I was, in, I was in Uganda earlier this year trying to figure out uh, an adoption process, a process that took much too long for my comfort, and it wore me down. It beat me up and, and just hardened me toward the wonder of two sons being given to us. And there's a lot of times I just didn't want to go to church. I, I wasn't able to have that joy in my spirit, and I didn't want to risk being cheered up by all of those happy Africans. So I, I just, I didn't go, you know. So maybe you know what I'm talking about. Maybe this season puts weights on you that are hard to carry. It challenges you with things that are beyond your control. So we're going to try to help each other bear up under those things today. Um, and I hope that acknowledging some of these things has at least been a helpful step forward to know that we're, we're not alone or unique in some of this or what we're feeling. And the Bible gives witness to that. It's going to, I think, help us help lead us on a helpful journey today. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and take it out. I'm in the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans is in the New Testament, and it's about this far in your Bible. It was written to a group of people who had the hope of Christ, who had made peace with God, but who were still struggling under the very real challenges of the world. And it was written by a person, Paul, who was no stranger to suffering. And in Romans 8, he calls to mind this graphic image to help give some perspective on reality. You think you're the only one suffering? Well, here's the truth. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. Now, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, but we groan inwardly while we wait. We wait for, for God's promised adoption, for the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes with, for what they've already seen? But if we hope for what we do not yet see, wait. We wait for it with patience. A pregnant woman ready to give birth, groaning in pain. That's the picture that Paul paints. Now, that's, of course, part of the Christmas story, too. We think of Mary, a young, wandering woman waiting for what was promised to be delivered. For her, nine months of waiting for a son. For her people, centuries of waiting for God's Savior. God's promise slowly and painfully being birthed. 
waiting. It's also a part of the Christmas season. And the same is true for our present condition, right? Now, if we know anything about God, if there's anything about God that attracts us to Him, it's likely the promises that He's made to us. To think that hope, joy, love, and peace could be available to us. Things like adoption as God's sons and daughters, redemption, the renewal of our decaying bodies. We're drawn to God because of those things. And life in this world, it gives us glimpses that God is bringing to fruition those very things. When you see a life change, when you pray for healing and healing does come, when relationships are restored, when we get to celebrate on the mountaintop, when we giggle with delight at God's blessing to us. But those things are momentary. They slip through our fingers. We can't control when they come and when they go, and we can't possess them fully, at least not yet. Now, Paul also says in Romans chapter 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time they're not even worth comparing to the glory that is to come. So we have the promise of what's coming, but we don't have it yet. We are still in the present time, and so we groan. And we wait as a pregnant mother waits for something she cannot see. I don't like to wait. Amen? My wife's been pregnant. I know she didn't like that wait. Waiting. It's, it's woven into the fabric of the Christmas season. Now, waiting is a concept that's known, I suppose, by any child who's counted down the days to Christmas. But it's known more fully by anyone who has grieved the loss of someone they love. They wait for grief to subside, for pain to go away, for a burden to be lifted. They wait in the midst of things beyond their control. I'd like you to get acquainted with some people who know uh, the kind of things that we're talking about. I had a chance to interview them last night at the service, Stacy and Mike and Gary, and they got to talk about some of the ways that they have journeyed through this. Go ahead and listen to their story. I know we kind of have the uh, like Ellen talk show sort of set up here, but the uh, our conversation isn't really the kind of light a fluffy afternoon talk show kind of conversation, but uh, thank you for being willing to be a part of it. There, you all three have at least one thing in common, and that is that you've experienced loss. And there are a lot of different ways that I could introduce you, but I'm going to choose to introduce you in a way that gives some specific insight into that part of your story. So Stacy, you uh, lost your father 14 months ago, and we were part of that funeral, and your mother as well, five years ago. And Mike, uh, things are fresh for you losing your wife, Jody just this August. Uh, we were part of that funeral as well. And Gary, um, you come with memories of a daughter whose life was taken from her at age 12 uh, in an accident. And so, Gary, um, turning to you first, you've experienced a number of Christmases since that time, but that has changed your experience of Christmas. Could you talk some about that? Sure. Well, early on, there was um, nothing positive that uh, that was there. Even looking through the eyes of the secular gift giving, uh, I was a single dad, and I raised Ashley on my own from when she was nine months old until her death in the accident. And it was just she and I. So that void was just not emotional, but it was physical because I was in an empty house. It, w it was just me, and then uh, there was nothing. Nothing positive came out of it. Um, we never talked about Jesus. We never 
never talked about, um, about his birth. It just wasn't part of the conversation. It was, it was all about the stuff. Mm-hmm. It was just you know, giving the stuff and trying to make her happy. Uh, and it took me nine years to, get, um, to put up a Christmas tree. I just had no desire to. Um, I would take those special ornaments that she would make, that she made when she was in, in elementary school and kindergarten, and I would put them on my friend's tree. And when they would take their tree down, they would box up the ornaments. I couldn't even take them off the tree hmm. because I felt like I was putting my daughter in a box and putting her up in the attic. And I felt guilty about that, and it, and it hurt. Um, I felt like my grief was a solar eclipse, like the how it is with the moon. The moon isn't, isn't nearly as big as the sun, but it was so big and so close to me that I couldn't see anything else. And like with the solar eclipse, you know, the moon isn't as big as the sun. Hmm. Uh, and that's just, that's just the way it was. And it's like with, with my grief, it didn't mean that, that Jesus wasn't there. I just couldn't see him mm-hmm. and blessings that were there for me. Sure. That was, I just wasn't seeing Mm-hmm. Stacy, you have tried to keep up a lot of your traditions, but uh, there is a new element to your Christmas celebration. Would you tell us about that? Um, yes. Um, in the past, we always had Christmas at my parents' home. Um, so now I visit the cemetery um, to remember my mother and father every year. Mm-hmm. Christmas was my mother's favorite holiday. Um, and I often think about how every Christmas she was adamant um, that my father put up a Christmas tree and put lights in the window, and someone had to decorate the tree and wrap her gifts, and that someone was me. Um, So I always think about that, you know, every year. And then even as I'm shopping this year, my father loved uh, fruitcakes. So whenever I pass the fruitcakes, I think, I got to pick one up for Daddy, and then I quickly remember, no, I can't because he's here. He loved the fruitcakes. I, I always just pass the fruitcakes just to be... <laughs> He's the only person thing. I know of that loves fruitcakes. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> Mike, uh, this, is, this is some new territory for you this year. Um, you've said that Christmas was always a season of anticipation and great celebration. Talk about what it is this year for you. Yeah. Uh, it, it is, Luke. Uh, Christmas, uh, the whole Christmas season, it's kind of bookended by our birthdays. Jody's birthday, the beginning of November, and my birthday at the end of December. Uh, so the whole period of time was one of celebration and joy and anticipation. Uh, a lot of fun uh, with the family and lots of time together. Um, Jody, similar to how you described Holly, was a homemaker and spent a lot of time decorating the house and making the house festive for the season. Um, and then that was always a good time. Uh, but this year it's been different for sure. Um, Special times came and, and went, so we, the bath, birthday passed, and we didn't have a birthday party. And a couple other special days, the day we met and uh, the day we had our first date kind of came and passed in that period of time, and there was no celebration about them. Uh, the house isn't decorated, um, although we do have a tree. I have a tree up, and it's lit, and that's beautiful, and that's a good reminder uh, of, of, uh, of the good of the season. Uh, but there's also some anxiety um, that's, that's there right now as well, and uh, we have some traditions on Christmas morning that we like to share where we get up and we read the, uh, the Gospel of Luke account of Jesus' birth and, uh, and then we read a storybook that goes through that from a child's eyes and then we actually take time to, uh, to speak into each other's lives about uh, the blessing of the year and 
uh, prayer for the year coming forward. And there's anxiety as we approach that with just Mallory, uh, my daughter, and Colin, mm -hmm. and myself. And uh, we'll be really missing Jody this year mm -hmm. as we come to that time. So there's some anxiety as we're getting ready to come to that day. Sure. Uh, Stacy, your father was such a patriarch for your family. Mm -hmm. um, so losing him, it means a void of you know, leadership and wisdom, connection to tradition, and even to the previous generation. Could you talk about some of the ways in which you're feeling that? And then could you also speak to ways that God is filling that void? Okay. Um, yeah, uh, Daddy was everything to all of us. I mean, he was everything for everybody. You know, his, his kids, cousins, nieces, nephews, he was just grandkids. He was everything for us. He was just always there and always present. So certainly, you know, it's different because he's not there. Um, we all felt like we were his favorite, you know, everybody, their favorite nephew, their favorite child. We all thought he made you feel so special. So in that, we just really loved him and honored him and cherished him. And he did the same with us. Um, you know, he knew everything. He could do everything. He knew the answer to every question. It just there was nothing he couldn't do and he always made you feel good about life. Mm -hmm. um, for me, just even not being able to call him to share a disappointment, a victory, just excitement, it, it, it's a big loss. Mm -hmm. um, but fortunately, um, God has filled the void. Um, I don't know if the longing and feeling alone will ever leave. It seems like when you lose your parents, it's like you're alone in the whole world no matter who's around. You just feel like you're orphaned. Um, but luckily our family has remained close and we're very supportive, just like we were when they were here. Um, and we surrounded with a very close extended family and very close friends. Um, so personally for me, I feel like with my natural father gone, um, I'm more dependent on God and closer to him with daddy's passing. Um, I feel like I'm stronger. My faith and trust, um, have increased. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like God has heightened my spiritual gifts, gifts in a, in a sense that um, I hear his, his, his voice is more pronounced for me. Mm -hmm. um, and with that, my hearing and understanding of, of God is, 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 is sharper. Hearing your heavenly father's voice in the place of maybe mm -hmm. your earthly father's voice mm -hmm. and filling that void. Uh, Gary, I was talking to some earlier about the waiting and the groaning through the, the struggles of this life. You've lived through that journey, and you've actually gone through far enough to a place where you could claim the truth of Romans 8.28, which many of us maybe know that verse. It's, uh, it says, um, we know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, you weren't ready to hear something like that early on. And that's not meant to be just some trite kind of be happy uh, dismissal of the pain. No, it is a real world tested acknowledgement that God can take bad and broken stuff and bring good stuff out of it. How have you experienced that? Well, if, uh, if Jesus himself would have put his arm around me and said, Gary, here's how this is going to work out, I would have looked him square in the eye and said, you want to bet? Mm-hmm. That rebellious nature of mine is just—it's just who I am, and uh, I would have—I would have fought it all the way. You know, he wasn't um, on my best terms. I wasn't in a really good spot with him, and uh, uh, the anger was just—just just so much. And I—I I never expected to grow. I, I never expected to grow in in my my faith and direction, and and depending upon God and. He was, he was never even a blip on my, on my radar screen, but uh, three months before Ashley 
died, she got me back here to Mountain. And when we walked through the doors of what's Cook Auditorium, now those big wooden doors, I knew I had come home. I didn't know why I felt that way, but I knew I was where I was supposed to be. Three months later, she was dead. Hmm. And I just... I just knew where I was supposed to be. But again, I wasn't really on good terms with, with Jesus. And I found a group. A friend of mine dragged me to a group called uh, Compassionate Friends. And it's, a, it's not a faith-based group, but it's a group for uh, families, for parents who have lost their children and grandchildren and brothers and sisters. Um, and we sat there. We met once a month. We sat in this circle and we just shared our pain. We just shared the hurt that only we understood. Uh, I still felt helpless and hopeless, but I felt normal for this helpless and hopeless situation. But eventually I felt that my grief was changing. And even today, it doesn't mean I don't miss my daughter. Missing my daughter and my heart healing are two different things. Um, and eventually I became chapter leader of that group, and I've been able to lead, it's been about eight years now, and I've been able to lead them into talking about the healing journey. Um, everybody knows how to grieve. No one has to, had to say to me, you know, Gary, your daughter's dead, you really should be hurting. I mm -hmm. kind of figured that out on my own, but the healing was a whole different thing. And I felt my grief changing, and I was around people whose grief did change, and it gave me something to hang on to. And, and getting closer with God and wanting to serve uh, years after her death. Uh, three years ago, I was asked to take over the grief share ministry here in Mountain. And it's, it's a faith-based video program that, um, that brings God into the healing right away. Uh, I also started a group down at Oak Crest Village and felt led to start a faith-based child loss group called Unending Love here. We meet once a month. Um, and it's to share Jesus and, and the Bible. And when I got into the grief share, I just had no idea how much the Bible speaks to to feeling our grief, to it validated my feeling, it acknowledged it, it, it shared with it, Job, mm -hmm. all that he went through. Uh, I felt so forsaken. Jesus felt forsaken. There were people here I could relate to mm -hmm. and able to help others through this and let them realize that there is hope. And the only hope in the void that can be filled, it's in the resurrection. Mm -hmm. Resurrection gives a different perspective. And I feel like uh, when I look at John 14, that's uh, kind of a classic place where Jesus uh, speaks some of that hope. It's an interesting place because Jesus, like he said, he's about to go and be forsaken. And he's about to lose his friends. The weight of the world is on his shoulders. And he takes the time to speak a word of comfort to his disciples. Uh, he's looking out for them. And I hope his words can be heard by all of us when he says, Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's house, and I wouldn't tell you this if it were not true. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And after I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come back and take you to be with me so that you may be where I am. And these words, with these words, we realize Jesus is the ultimate homemaker. 
uh, he is getting a place ready. He is able to make, make order out of the chaos. He's able to heal the pain. He will turn our grief into joy and end our waiting by fulfilling the promises that he made to us. Uh, just as he came uh, from uh, with from uh, the first time, he will come back and take us to be with him. Uh, that's really why Paul can say the things that he was saying in Romans 8. Uh, he groaning through the stuff. That's why he can say with confidence that there's something glorious coming. And he acknowledges the grief and the pain and the difficulty and all of that. But he comes and he ends with this flourish. Mike, we finished Jody's funeral with these words from Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor present or future or any powers, not the height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And Mike, Jody's funeral was hard. Um, and this season will be hard for you. And it will be that way for a lot of people. But how does that truth uh, shape our grief? Yeah. So uh, one, one thing that's been a constant for me since Jody's death is um, just trying to keep in mind that that um, that where she is and what she's experiencing is way better than anything we can have here on this earth. Um, there's a lot of times that I'll be uh, out doing something that we used to do together and wish that she was with me uh, and start to feel sad about it. And, and what I try to do is I try to stop and think and remember that her right now being in the presence of God and, and just... Uh, in heaven and worshiping and being in the presence of God is so much far superior to whatever I'm doing here on earth um, that, that I should just stop and rejoice and be happy for that. Um, it's hard sometimes because in my selfish nature, I want her to be with me. Um, but uh, when I get my perspective right and I, I think about what she, where she is and what she's doing, then it's easy for me to uh, get rid of my selfishness and just be happy that she's she's obtained what we all long for. Um, you know, eternity with Christ, eternity with God, uh, and in his presence. She's gone home. Gone home. Yeah. And Gary, you said for you it comes down to 1 Thessalonians 4.13, which says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who doesn't have any hope. Give us a final word about that. I found that uh, when I was reading the grief share material and my jaw dropped, this scripture verse absolutely sums up the journey, I think, for all of us going through this. Uh, it validates the fact that we're to grieve. It says, don't be uninformed about those who have fallen asleep in death. And it uses the word purposely, sleep. It's temporary. It's temporary. It says, don't be uninformed. I mean, share the stories. Share the things that make you laugh, the things that used to make you angry. And smile that God gave you the gift of, that, uh, of the loved one that you had, no matter how long you had them. Are you better for the loved one being your life, or are you not? It goes on to say, 
but do not grieve as those who have no hope. It doesn't say, but do not grieve, period. Jesus grieved. Mm -hmm. He grieved with the death of, death of Lazarus. And it reminds us that we do have the hope. We do have the hope. We're not to grieve like those who have no hope. The followers of Jesus have that hope in the resurrection. And we'll be celebrating in the presence of Jesus, celebrating be with him, and our loved ones will be there when we're called to our heavenly home. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing these things. Would you just honor them? Thank you, guys. Thank you. It is a hard thing to lose someone you love, but it can be a beautiful thing to celebrate their faith, the hope that they had in Christ, to know that they said yes to Jesus' invitation to come home. And that's what we're waiting for and longing for in the midst of a season that is marked by all of these things. This is the package of Christmas. Even for those of us who, it, maybe it's easy for us to be merry this time of year, but all of us are, are uh, waiting for that time when our grief will turn to joy and God's promise will ultimately be fulfilled uh, Jesus' birth and his death and resurrection proves that good stuff can be wrought out of bad and broken stuff. So uh, embrace the fullness of the season, and the Lord will embrace you fully as well, wherever you're at in the midst of us. Our, I think our task, the invitation at this time of year is for us to come to Jesus just as we are, bring with us whatever we are carrying, the burden, the pain, the grief, and trust that God will work out and work in us whatever good stuff uh, He promises to do. So I hope we will be able to do that in the midst of this season this year. We're going to come now to a time of remembrance uh, by sharing a meal. We do it every week. It's called communion. And in it, we take the bread and the cup and remember that this Jesus who was born for us is the same Jesus who died for us. Our Heavenly Father knows what it is to lose a child. But he also delivered him. Just as from the womb, Jesus was birthed from the tomb and now lives forever and prepares a home for us. All of that is remembered in this meal that we're about to share. Those who are going to serve it at all of our campuses can go ahead and take their place and get ready for that. We're going to shape our time of remember, remembrance in a distinct way today. We've heard from some people who have lost loved ones. And I know that that's true for many of us who are gathered today. And so we want to have a special time of remembering them uh, during this time. So there are candles lit at all of our campuses near the front of the stage, and they we're going to allow those to represent people who are dear to us who have lost their lives in 2016. So they represent our parents and grandparents and wives and husbands, siblings, friends, even children. And some of them are people who did not even see their birth. Some maybe live just for a short time and others live the, maybe a good long life. Uh, there are people who died quickly as a result of an accident or maybe after a long battle with an illness. At least one of those candles represents a soldier or an officer who was killed in the line of duty. Some represent those who in a moment of depression took their own life. All of those people who come to mind in these moments are represented in these flames that burn before you. And as you 
grieve their loss. You need to know that those people are not only important to you, but they're important to us as a community and they're important to God. As you remember them, you don't do that alone, but we are with you and the Lord is with you as well. So at this time, I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer and we're going to do that. I'm going to invite, you don't have to do this, but anyone who has lost someone in 2016 that was close to you, if you're remembering them right now and you would like to stand and be prayed for, you're invited to do that at this time. Um, again, you don't have to, but anybody who's willing and would just invite you to go ahead and stand in your place and we'd like to pray for you if you've lost someone in the year 2016. And then I'm going to invite a second group to stand as well. If you're remembering someone this time of year who maybe didn't die in 2016, but it was long ago, they passed away, and their memory, you still feel that very strongly, especially in this season. If you're remembering them, I'd like to invite you to stand as well. Um, doesn't matter when it happened. If it's something, a loss that you still feel deeply, I invite you to go ahead and, and stand. Thank you for doing that. That's, uh, it takes some courage to do that, to stand up and it, it just admit your need and, and grief in front of other people. But you need to know, again, that we are with you and that the Lord is with you as you grieve that loss. And then I'm going to ask us to do one more thing. It's a biblical thing, something that we do around here from time to time. If you see, if you're around someone that is standing near you, and you, and you see them, could you just, in a non-invasive way, maybe just place a hand on their shoulder or on their arm as an expression of your presence and support of them and also of, of the Lord's? Just to uh, say we, we support you and we want to let God's strength be upon you as we pray today and do that. Thank you. I'm going to pray in just a moment and lead us through remembering these friends and loved ones that we've lost, and then we will share in a meal to remember the Lord who loves us. For all of you who are standing, for all of you who are grieving, someone that you've lost, may the Lord uh, give you His presence and His strength and His comfort during this season. And for all of us who are supporting those, may the Lord use you to strengthen and encourage and comfort and be present with those who are grieving during this season. I'm going to pray for us and then we will share in our time of remembering our Lord. Let's pray together. God, we turn to you and we hold on to the truths of this season that you have come to be with us and that you do bring joy and peace and love and we have hope of the promises that you've made to us. That uh, there is a day coming when we will weep no more and grieve no more. We look forward to that day. But for all of us who are now grieving, would you be very present and real to us in this moment? Uh, we need you. We need your touch. We need your strength. We need you to fill us with courage as we take on life without those that we love. Uh, be uh, with us in this moment and be with us as a church as we try to be the kind of place and the kind of community where hope is offered and where uh, strength and support and bearing with one another, where all of that happens. Uh, let this be a church where that is true. Thank you for the gift of your Son for coming to make your home among us and to know what it's like to grieve and to walk through this difficult world. We need you to walk with us now. And we also need your hope and your encouragement about the future that you have prepared for those who, who say yes to you, for those who want to respond to your invitation. We have that hope of a heavenly home. Thank you that you are indeed the best homemaker. Thank you for preparing a place for us. Encourage us with that in this moment. Let it shape and inform our Christmas celebration as we wait not only to celebrate the birth of Jesus, but also 
for the promised life that we have with Jesus forever and ever. Amen. You can be seated as we share in communion.